uh, get started. You are listening to Based in Fact, a true crime podcast. Join host Lisa O'Brien and Kyle Evans as they examine America's most infamous true crime cases as they were established in our courts and the basis for the decisions of the appeals courts not the court of public opinion. Here's Lisa and Kyle. Welcome to season two of Based in Fact, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Lisa O'Brien, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle Evans. This is episode seven, Oklahoma versus Richard Glossop update. Kyle and I will review the status of the pending writ to the U.S. Supreme Court filed after the denial of Glossop's second 2022 application for post-conviction release and the result of the Attorney General, Oklahoma Attorney General's so-called independent investigation that we've learned was directed by Reed Smith and by extension Don Knight who represents Glossop. We'll also talk about the disposition of Glossop's 2023 state post-conviction application and the shenanigans that were involved in that process, Glossop's clemency hearing, and his challenge in district court, and his second writ pending before the U.S. Supreme Court. And good afternoon, Kyle. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for taking the time out of your Father's Day, and you're on mute. If you can, unmute sorry yourself. about no. Thank you. I appreciate. It. I was having trouble getting back to my Zoom link. So no, thanks, Lisa. It's great <laughs> to be back. Yes, happy yeah. Father's Day to all those dads out there. Yes, and and I want to uh, take a moment, especially today. Uh, happy Father's Day to um, Paul Howell, Barry Van Treese, and Jason Corbett whose lives were tragically cut short by uh, defendants we've profiled on this uh, podcast, but that um, our thoughts are today with their families because it's a very hard day. You know, when you lose either yeah. parent, Mother's and Father's Day are difficult Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Uh, going forward. Um, so uh, we wish... Wish them happy Father's Day, and we're thinking of their families. Yeah, and acknowledge no, them for that. on this Father's Day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very tough, especially losing them in such a tragic way, and then being, especially then their deaths being used for political purposes. Correct. Yes, and that's uh, especially for for Barry Ventrice, uh, which we will get into because we have... Uh, we have to finish in time for you and your lovely wife to celebrate, I presume. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully my kids will join too, but oh, okay. <laughs> you know, they're, at the, they're at that age now where sometimes they're a little bit too cool for dad, but hopefully they will <laughs> join as well. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we, uh, we've, we've looked at this case before, uh, you know, the summary of the crime, of course, the victim was Barry Allen Vantrese, who was 54 years of age. Um, you know, he was a son, he was a brother, 
He was a father to seven children, uh, some of them quite young at the time he passed away. Um, he was the owner of two motels in one in Oklahoma City and one in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, he had retired from banking after a successful career in, in banking. And I kind of look at the the motels were a good way to have an income, but to have the freedom to do work when you want to work and be with your family when you need to be with your family. Um, kind of like the ultimate side gig. Yeah, um, exactly. It was like the, yeah, it was like the early, before it was a word, it was the side hustle. Right. And so, um, and, and I don't mean any disrespect by saying that. I think it was a good, you know, it was a good move for him. He was too young to start pension or retirement, although he may have had that from the bank. I don't know what their terms were. Um, but he had had some health issues and he needed to, you know, have a little bit easier time. And I think he also saw the importance of, again, being able to carve out more time for his family than he may have done in the past. Um, he did own these two motels uh, at Oklahoma City. He had a manager by the name of Richard Glossop. And I suspect that Richard Glossop did a very good job as long as Barry Van Trees was regularly visiting and regularly checking up and, um, you know, spending more time at the motel. But in the last six months of 1996, Barry Van Trees did not have the time or the inclination to spend that much time at the motel. And that is when Richard Glossop started taking a little bit extra here and there to supplement his own income. Um, and we can, we can dispute it. We can debate it all you want, but when you're stealing money from a person, you don't tell them how much you're stealing and when you stole it. And you're doing your best to hide the fact that you stole it by say reporting that you collected less money than you really collected or reporting Maybe that you collected more money than you collected, but saying, oh, it's lost. So um, and and I, I suspect Richard Glossop had always had this pattern. Yeah, he's all it's yeah, it feels like he's always been a little bit of a shortcut, a little bit of a hustler, always finding a way to dance along the edges of ethics and morality and, and legality. And I, I expect that he's the type of person that he would do a really phenomenal job and seem like a dedicated and conscientious employee. Again, while he was under strict supervision, but once they trusted him, I think that he betrayed that trust and started stealing and started, you know, padding his pockets a little bit. And doing enough that it was satisfying to him, but perhaps he could tell himself, but it's not a big deal. I deserve it. I'm making more money for this business. I deserve the extra yeah. $200 a week. Well, I think that's a good point. I think it's like you spot on. I think the important piece that, you know, the dots you connect is there's always that, yes, I'm going to 
you know, do a little something for myself, but there's always that justification, which I think plays back into the ultimate crime, which is, yeah, I, this is all justified by some real or imagined slight. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So in July of 1996, around the time that Barry Van Treese's, um supervision declined at the motel property, uh, a young man by the name of Justin Sneed, also known as Justin Taylor, and his brother, Wes, or half-brother Wes, uh, appeared at the motel. They were staying there. They were part of a roofing crew from Texas. Um, and they were working in the very hot summer sun in Oklahoma, which is uh, pretty flat and pretty open and probably really hot. Um not long after they came to Oklahoma, Wes and Justin decided to quit their well-paying jobs with the roofing crew, uh, more likely than not because it was too much hot work than they were wanting to do. And they decided that they would stay on at the motel. They would have a free room and they would do maintenance work in exchange for the room. Um, they also quickly had become friends with Glossop. So, uh, and they were both, uh, Sneed was 18, maybe 19, and Glossop was in his early 30s, and Wes was not much older than Sneed. So I'm going to say these were two disciples at the knee of Glossop, and he yeah. probably enjoyed that very much. Yeah, no, absolutely. He was it was kind of like the inverse of his probably his relationship with Van Therese, where he got to be the boss and make them do stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um Wes uh Wes's father, Sneed's stepfather, eventually came to Oklahoma City. Wes had some legal troubles in Texas that his father felt he needed to face. So he was brought back to Tarrant County, Texas to begin serving a uh a sentence for a some criminal act that he had committed. Uh, now, there's an allegation by Glossop, and I believe the, that Sneed has kind of corroborated it, that at one point, Wes Taylor wanted to rob the motel and had a plan to rob the motel, but Glossop wouldn't go along with it. Now, alternately, it, it was either Wes or, or Sneed, but somebody came up with a plan that, you know, Glossop's keeping all this cash. They could rob Glossop, take the cash, split it among themselves, and Glossop would just identify somebody else as the robbers. Um, but like I said, Glossop refused or claims he refused to go along with it. That is, do you um, think that's just a totally made up claim to make Glossop look better? It is. Well, I mean, that seems like a much simpler plan. It is odd I, to say no to that. I believe that. Um, Sneed and Glossop have each independently talked about it. So, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't ultimately prove anything as to Glossop's guilt in Barry Ventrice's murder. Um, yeah, I correct. think it was something Glossop threw out there that, uh, you know, wasn't, was designed to impugn the character and credibility of Justin Sneed and Justin Sneed, who's actually, really pretty honest um he admits to it 
So, you know, again, I don't know. And, but I think he says, I think Glossop says it was Sneed's idea and Sneed says it was actually Wes's idea. Um, but that leaves Sneed at the motel by himself. He's not earning any money. Um, he uses drugs. He smokes pot. He uses methamphetamine. Um, he is, you know, going to have to buy, you have to buy drugs most of the time. I mean, every now and then, if you're lucky, you find somebody that has plenty of money and plenty of drugs and they'll share with you, but that's not always the way it works. Um, so he's going to need money. So there's an accusation that he was breaking into rooms and breaking into cars. Um, I don't know that he's ever coped to that. Um, and it could, and, and he's never been charged uh, or formally accused or arrested. So um, that's the rumors that went around after the murder. Some of them started by Richard Glossop. So take them with a grain of salt. On January 6th, Barry arrived at the Oklahoma City property between 5.30 and 6 p.m. He took care of payroll, checked the paperwork maintained by Glossop, and picked up the money, also known as receipts, uh, for the motel that had been collected since his last visit. Now, apparently, the receipts for the previous weekend, which would have been the 4th and 5th, were missing. And Barry Van Treese did not find Glossop's explanations for where those receipts, that money was, to be adequate. So there was an issue between Glossop and Barry Van Treese on January 6th regarding that issue. There was also year-end paperwork missing that Barry Van Treese needed for them to be able to do the books and their taxes for 1996. Um, again, that was another issue of contention between Barry Ventris and Richard Glossop on the night of January 6th. Um, Barry Ventris had to go to Tulsa. And so he took the key to room 102 with him and he left for Tulsa about 7 50, 8 o'clock p.m. While in Tulsa, and I think on the ride over to Tulsa, Barry was thinking about what was going on at the Oklahoma City Motel. It was in bad condition. Um, he had people telling him that they believed Glossop was skimming money and stealing from him. Um, he had the missing receipt money from the weekend. And he also had missing paperwork and missing room registration cards and, you know, a lot of a lot of problems that were probably weighing heavily on his mind during that drive between Oklahoma and Oklahoma city and Tulsa. And by the time he got to the Tulsa motel, he was pissed. And so he made some statements to William Bender regarding the situation in Oklahoma city. Uh, one of the things that he did that Bender believed he did was he went through and checked every room in the motel to ensure that there were not rooms being rented off the books. And you got to remember, Richard Glossop has multiple people working in the hotel, not paying them, but giving them a room. Yeah. So he's taking rooms out of commerce. Exactly. Well, and you think, I mean, Van Treese is the one that's got all the risk, right? He put up all the money to buy this hotel. 
And people always like, oh, yeah, he's rich, you know, owner. But it's like he's taking all the risk. It's his money on the line. He hired Glossop. Glossop agreed to work there. And there's no no moral right for him just to steal by renting rooms or giving away rooms to his buddies for drugs or whatever else. Right. And we got to remember Glossop's allowing his brother Bobby either to pay for and rent a room and sell drugs out of it or to rent to have a room off the books yeah. to sell drugs out of it. I mean, it's no different at the end of the day of somebody just saying, okay, I'm going to let somebody come in and move into your extra bedroom just because. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, and Barry said, one of the things that Barry Vantrese told Mr. Bender, the manager at the Tulsa location, was that he had given Glossop until he returned from Tulsa to have the money that was missing and get that to him. He also said that he had given him till the end of the week to find the missing paperwork and registration cards. And that if he didn't do those things to Barry Vantrese's satisfaction, Barry Vantrese was going to contact the police. And no matter what puppy dog and unicorn and rainbow description of their interactions that we get from Richard Glossop, I tend to believe that it was more a come to Jesus. And Barry Vantrese said, okay, look, you get the money that's missing. That I get that in hand when I come back to the motel tonight. You get the paperwork by the end of this week. Our, our, this, you know, your job is going to be over because I'm not having this anymore. And if you don't do these things, I'm going to call the cops and have you arrested. And Barry had done that for someone else who was embezzling. So, um, you know, it's not an unprecedented, uh, uh, unprecedented action on his, uh, on his part. Um, the Barry left Tulsa between 11 p.m. and midnight on the 7th of January, 1997. Um, or rather, he arrived between 11 and midnight, and he left about 45 minutes later, which would have put him back at the Oklahoma City property at around 2 o'clock a.m. At around 4.15 or 4.30 a.m., John Beavers, a tenant in the motel, heard glass breaking around room 102, and observed a broken window and glass on the sidewalk. Uh, he also, I think, allegedly gave a statement to Don Knight that he heard a male and female voice in the uh, room 102 during that time. During the early morning hours, Sneed woke Glossop and his girlfriend, Deanna Wood, uh, and he reported to Glossop that he killed Barry. Glossop lied to Deanna and told her that Sneed told him two drunk cowboys had broken the window in room 102. Uh, Glossop also gave inconsistent statements about the cowboys, telling some that Sneed rented the room to them and others that Barry rented the room to them. And he also said the window was broken while the cowboys were fighting outside the room, but then implied that the window had been broken from inside the room. And it was... I think obvious with the glass on the outside that the window was broken from inside the room, not outside. Later that morning, Glossop helped Sneed place a piece of plexiglass on the outside of the window. And uh, they had also gone into the room with Barry's dead body lying on the floor and helped Sneed hang up a shower curtain over the broken window to keep anyone from being able to look in the window and see what was going on in the room. 
In spite of knowing that Barry Vantrese was dead, Glossop told multiple people that he'd seen Barry early that morning and that Barry was fine. He repeated the lie about Barry buying supplies for room renovations to several people during that morning. At around yeah. 3 p.m. Yeah. Well, no, he I was went, just gonna say no, I mean I feel like that's always a good indicator. Innocent people don't lie. You can always tell the people who were guilty because they lie about their whereabouts, they lie about major and minor details. If Glossop was innocent, there'd be no reason to lie. Right. And, you know, I mean, if Glossop's innocent at 3 o'clock p.m. when he gets a call to summon him back to the motel because Billy uh, Hooper had identified Barry's car at the Weoki Credit Union next door and everybody was thinking Barry was dead, by that time they're, you know, frantic because he's missing and everybody's looking for him, you'd think Glossop, knowing Barry was dead, would say, well, wait a second, Justin Sneed killed him. There he is. Go get him to the police. Ex I mean, when the police no, exactly. come and get involved, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, we we'll talk about it a little later. The the excuses for Glossop not to, not to do the right thing are just epic and so fucking stupid. Uh, by the way, I want to warn listeners: there's going to be cursing. Okay. Because some of these claims that Glossop's attorneys and, and advocates are making really get my blood boiling. So, well, and it should, because, I mean, the mental gymnastics they put up to excuse this behavior would. Oh, you knew, muted yourself. Oh, goodness. Sorry. Kyle? No, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> Mental no, I mean, gymnastics? All the, yeah, all the mental gymnastics does get frustrating because good, innocent people who, you know, just are have basic human decency, they kind of behave in a consistent way. Like, oh my gosh, I think somebody's hurt. Let me call the police. They don't lie about it. It's amazing that people are like, oh yeah, he, you know, some great conspiracy theory why he lied. It's ridiculous. I... I completely understand why your blood would boil by the mental gymnastics that those that try to excuse his behavior have to jump through. Or they just ignore these statements. And yeah, they ignore the obvious. And they also are, they also impugn the credibility of the people who reported the statements. Right. Like ignore the fact that Glossop was lying his fucking ass off and, and trying to say none of the other people have any motive to lie. They have mm -hmm. no, there's nothing in it for them to be dishonest. Yeah. Glossop has everything to lose to lie. So, uh, and throughout that day, he continued to lie to people about Barry's whereabouts at a time when he knew that Sneed had killed Barry and after Barry's car had been found. He accompanied Deanna and Cliff Everhart on a search of dumpsters and fields on properties around the motel, going through the charade of looking for Barry Ventrice. At around 4.30 p.m., Officer Tim Brown joined the search for Barry. Glossop told Brown several dis different stories, including that he had seen Barry that morning. Glossop also failed to mention Sneed's early morning confession and continued trying to steer people away from room 102. He told people, oh, no, we searched that room. He's not in there. Between 10 p.m. and 10.30 p.m., Brown and Everhart, after comparing notes on Glossop's various statements, decided to check room 102 and found Barry's body. They found Barry lying face down, covered by the bedspread and sheet from the bed, which had been stripped. 
They found a shower curtain duct taped to the inside of the window and plexiglass on the outside with caulking to seal the gaps. They also found glass stacked on a chair inside the door and a roll of duct tape. A pocket knife covered in blood was found under Barry's body. Glossop was then detained and continued trying to cover up the murder and Sneed's involvement. He denied making the inconsistent statements reported by Brown and Everhart. He claimed things were getting confused. Even when detectives told him that they knew he knew more than he was telling, he lied and denied any knowledge. Due to lack of probable cause, however, police were forced to release him on January 8th, 1997. Police did keep tabs on Glossop after his release. On the 9th of uh, January, 1997, he started selling his possessions, including furniture, a TV, and vending machines, and telling people he was moving on he also went to visit an attorney, David McKenzie, who's a well-known criminal defense attorney in Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, McKenzie tried to help Glossop by informing detectives that he wasn't going to speak to them, but Glossop ignored McKenzie's warning and waived his right to counsel. He also, in spite of being in possession of $1,700, allegedly to pay Mr. McKenzie's retainer, Glossop left McKenzie's office without paying said retainer with said money in his freaking pocket. Um, so, yes, he was in possession of this, this amount of money. But first of all, its provenance has never quite accurately uh, been explained by Glossop. And he didn't pay. It was for a retainer that he did not pay. So, um, again, you know, Reed Smith and, and Don Knight are, are talking about, well, he had it to pay an attorney. Yeah, that he didn't pay. Explain that, please. Um, and, and it's kind of like it's a bait and switch with them. You know, you ask him, explain why he didn't pay McKenzie. And they say, well, he he had the money to pay McKenzie. Well, yes, I know that. But why did he not pay it? Because if he had paid McKenzie, then he would have had no money when he was arrested. And part of his motive would have been gone. Because McKenzie would not have revealed <laughs> that Glossop gave him any money. Yeah, uh, it exactly. would have become attorney-client privilege. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, Glossop finally on the ninth, you know, when he knows, and again, he needs to come to Jesus with the detectives. Uh, he knows that they've they've got him. They know he's he's involved. So then he has to start covering his ass. And so he finally reported Sneed's confession to detectives. And he tried to justify or deny the false statements that he made on the 7th and 8th. Uh, he, but he admitted of being, I mean, he admitted to lying during his entire interview on January 8th. Yeah, I mean, again, that goes back to my, I, I know I always beat the dead horse, but Innocent people don't constantly lie and change their story. I mean, occasionally, I think there was the one man with the, um, uh, it was the Indiana case about the girls on the bridge. I forget what it was called, but you know, he didn't go to police because he had multiple DUIs and he had been driving to the bar. So he didn't go for, he didn't come forward because he would have been, you know, busted for, you know, driving without a license, violating his probation. But outside of a legitimate reason, 
you just you you know you the guys are guilty if they're lying to the police and they're not being honest from day one. Especially and, it's like, hey, my boss was murdered. I I'm concerned about that. I should be scared. I don't want to get killed. I'm the manager of this hotel. Mm -hmm. What if somebody tries to rob me and kill me? They think I have money. And and that's the thing too that 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 really they've never adequately explained either. If Glossop is not involved, why would he be covering up the body for Sneak? Yeah, exactly. He would be like, hey, this is my boss. This is my livelihood. Yeah. If my boss is dead, somebody else is going to buy the hotel. I'm going to lose my job. I, I care about this. I want justice for him. Yeah. So and there's also an allegation that at when Glossop returned from Walmart and found Sneed still there, he got with Sneed and he was like, you need to leave. And so he encouraged Sneed to leave the property. Uh, and that's another thing that kind of, you know, kind of plays against their claims that Glossop is totally innocent and had nothing to do with it and is the poor, hapless uh, dumbass. Because, you know, <laughs> Sneed has admitted to killing Barry Ventries. Um, but he's still hanging around the motel. He doesn't tell Glossop, yeah, I killed him and leave right away. No, yeah. no, no, no. He hangs around and helps fix the window, goes by exactly. class. Uh, he's hanging around. He goes and does room searches um, or, or pretends to do room searches. And then, you know, Glossop has to tell him, hey, you need to leave now in the afternoon. Yeah, I mean, you can always tell. I mean, you just, the after, the post-crime behavior is always the most telling because people act in these completely illogical ways that would only happen if you knew Glossop was in on it. Otherwise, mm -hmm. need take the money and I'm on a bus to California. Correct. So, um, all right. So we know Glossop was convicted at his first trial which I actually cut out of the case notes. Um, but one of the one of the facts that we have is that on October 28, 1999, a uh, there's a property transfer report from the DA's office to the police department, uh, which notes that appeals were exhausted and ordered the destruction of evidence contained in this box. On the 10th of November, 1999, that box was marked for destruction by the police department and destroyed. And it contained a sh the shower curtain, duct tape, uh, Barry Ventrice's wallet, a set of keys and some receipt books and a, uh, an envelope and, and a couple of other things that appeared to have been from the front seat of Barry Ventrice's car. Uh, of course, there was also a box full of cash, about $23,000, in the trunk of Barry Ventrice's car, but Richard Glossop was not aware of the existence of that money, and so he did not direct anybody to go to the trunk, um, nor was Snead apparently aware of it either, um, and so uh, that remained in the trunk and was eventually returned to the Ventrice family. Because it belonged to them. It's not. <laughs> it's like these these people that think they should have maintained the car forever. 
and the the money and the paperwork it all should have been maintained because this was a capital murder case well it's not material exactly so you know and unless unless glossop's attorneys can find something that makes it material it's not material right well Um, you know i mean they always and they always expect the police to literally be absolutely perfect yeah. I mean, if the policeman driving to the crime scene crossed over in, you know, crossed the left line. Oh, sorry. Terrible. It's terrible. They expect everything to be perfect. It's an impossible right. standard. Right. Um, and, you know, the the other thing is the idea that if police have a feeling that somebody knows more than they're saying, which generally means they're involved in the crime somehow. To some extent. Um, they're supposed to ignore that feeling and presume that person to be innocent absent evidence to the contrary, which you're not going to find if you don't question the person, you know, and give them a chance to dig their own hole. Um, well, this idea that police, owe, that, that police owe suspects, um, a presumption of innocence is the most ridiculous waste of freaking time. Well, no. And two, I mean, think about it. I mean, they, they, you know, the, they always want to play the race card, right? Like, Oh, it's, it's four black people always railroad. Well, you know, Glossop and Sneed are both white guys. So like, which one of these is right? Either it's all racist or, you know, there's a grand conspiracy against everybody. You know, it's none of the system makes sense. You can't put it all together in a way that makes logical sense. Right. Well, and that's their, their, their claims about it. It, you can, you know, it does make sense when you look at the post-conviction um, procedures. Uh, it's just that, you know, some they, defense bar injects these notions into the court of public opinion that aren't realistic and aren't actually legitimately contemplated by any state any law you know again they right they make most it of the people like... that give them money don't realize that <laughs> no they don't most of the people that are writing the checks have no idea so then, uh, so on December 7th, 2000, Glossop's case was remanded to Oklahoma County Trial Court for an evidentiary hearing. Um, basically, the Court of Criminal Appeals had some concerns about Glossop's first trial. And so they wanted an evidentiary hearing to address certain questions. I'm not going to detail them here. I probably talked about them in more detail on prior uh prior episodes um that was done and returned and then in july on july 17 2001 the court of criminal appeals reversed glossop's first conviction and remanded the case for a new trial to oklahoma county district court where on june 3rd 2004 glossop was convicted and once again sentenced to death his formal sentencing occurred on august 27 2004 
Um, his direct appeal was decided on April 13, 2007, and that affirmed the trial court's judgment and sentence, uh, or the jury's conviction and, and the sentence uh, imposed at their recommendation by the trial court. On May 3rd, 2007, the Court of Criminal Appeals denied Glossop's request for a rehearing. Uh, and this demonstrates that Glossop's enjoyed due process every step of the way, starting in 2001. Or, well, starting in 2000, really. Um, and the, the due process has been pretty thorough, contrary to the claims of certain um, idiot lawmakers in Oklahoma. Uh, and I'm talking about you, Kevin McDougal. I hope you're listening and I hope you sue me because I'd love proving what an idiot you are. <laughs> Glossop sought a writ at the U.S. Supreme Court under docket number 07-7448, which was denied on G January 22nd, 2008. Then he entered the state and federal post-conviction uh, process, which he... Um, he filed a writ in 2004 um, post-conviction application for post-conviction relief. That was denied on December 6th, 2007, which means about three years worth of um, process or, or proceedings before the Court of Criminal Appeals. Uh, his request for hearing and discovery were also denied. He went on to federal court, Western District of Oklahoma, where his habeas corpus relief was denied on September 28, 2010. And then his uh, that was affirmed by the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeal on July 25, 2013. He uh, filed another writ to the U.S. Supreme Court, which I did not get the number for. My apologies. And that was denied on May 5, 2014. So at that point, Glossop's conviction and sentence have become final when his initial writ was denied in 2008. Now they are really final because his post-conviction claims in both state and federal court have been decided against him. Uh, on October 27, 2014, his, his first execution date was set for January 29, 2015. Uh, then in there was a let's see there was a challenge to lethal injection procedures and the use of midazolam as the anesthetic or sedative in the process. I've cut out all that stuff, and so the the January twenty ninth execution date was postponed. Uh, he eventually was given an execution date in September of 2015 after the U.S. Supreme Court uh, declined or dismissed the uh, claim relating to midazolam in June of 2015. On, um, and this is really when the court of public opinion assault begins. Uh, led by Don Knight, who on September 11, 2015, issues a press release scheduling a press conference for September 14, 2015. 
Uh, the points that they raise, and I'm not going to go over all of them, um, they claim Sneed was pressured to implicate Glossop by police, that he was fed details, then that he adopted the detective story that Glossop was a mastermind, which when you read Sneed's actual statement is so untrue. It's not even funny. Yes, they may have mentioned Glossop's name six times, but every time they mentioned Glossop's name, Sneed gave a narrative answer to their to their inquiry about Glossop. They claim that they had new evidence proving that Sneed's statement was coerced, which was basically the opinion of Dr. Richard Leo. Um, they had uh, investigate they they alleged investigators presume Glossop's guilt. Well, they don't owe him presumption presumption of innocence. And he's lying his ass off. He admits to lying. Right. Of course, Especially they're going to think he's involved. Yeah, of course. You know, um, and that they sought to pressure and persuade Snead to implicate him. A lot of times these these things are also they're kind of repeated, but they're reworded slightly. Um, investigators yeah. lied to Snead, saying multiple witnesses in implicate him when only Glossop brought his name up. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, and then they they made allegations that because they, they no, they didn't make allegations. They lied. They lied about Sneed's method addiction. They lied about Sneed's method of doing meth. They lied about Sneed's criminal history and background. They lied about Sneed um, just in, in multiple ways based on people that came forward and said, oh yeah, I knew Sneed. And this is what I saw. And it's always the, all these witnesses come forward years after the crime and the trial. That's why I just don't mm -hmm. believe you. Yeah. If you, if, if you, it's just like where it's Adnan Syed, whether it's the West Memphis three, you had 20 years to make your point and not until it becomes public and trendy and you might get money to say this. You were quiet for all these years. Mm -hmm. I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so they, um, but one of the things that, that's important to, to note is that in 2015, first of all, Don Knight claimed that they needed access to Sneed's full medical records, which were under seal in federal court. And they claim, they claim that, um, the fact that Sneed was administered lithium in the late 1990s um, in the, well, while he was in jail, that that was significant and that his mental health ish, uh, condition was material and they needed to investigate it because it would somehow exonerate Glossop, although they haven't quite explained how that exonerates Glossop. Um but so this is something and it's we'll see in 2022 and 2023, these things are being recycled again. Um, and then uh, Knight claimed that essential investigation remained. Um, he claimed that Sneed had bragged about setting Glossop up, that they've had problems interviewing inmates who didn't want to cooperate because they don't want to lose their placement in medium security facilities. Um, 
they want to interview Snead, who may not wish to come forward and tell the truth because he doesn't want to lose his minimum security facility placement and he doesn't want to uh, like end up in facing the death penalty. Um, they uh, report, you know, they need the jail medical records um, that they claim that there was drug paraphernalia confiscated from Snead's room, but they've been unable to document it. They want the polygraph information from the polygraph administered to Glossop, uh, which he admitted at the 2014 clemency hearing. Um, and they, you know, basically it's, it's court of public opinion. They talk about exonerations that happened in other States that aren't in any way, shape or form relevant to Glossop's case. And then they also uh, bring up that there are jurors who were taught, who were, interviewed by Fox 25 who claim they were misled by the ME testimony, but there's a question as to whether those were jurors from the first trial or jurors from the second trial. Um, then there's the press conference on the 14th, which is mostly bluster from Don Knight um, regarding the propaganda in his press release. Um, David Prater, God bless him, the, the DA in Oklahoma County, um, he was there and he was approached and and he basically didn't didn't pull any punches he said it was just a pr a bullshit pr campaign and i quote um night with more bluster and evidence uh evidencing his total lack of common sense responded with if it was a pr campaign would i bring affidavits if the affidavits are full of lies, yes, you would. Because it's a PR campaign and saying you have affidavits looks impressive. Impressive, But they're not really impressive if the information contained within is neither credible nor reliable and is rejected by the court. Uh, then Knight sent a letter to Fallon. He's basically repeating the same propaganda, including the need for essential investigation and um, he uh, he want you know he wants her to stay the execution and let him you know continue uh, investigating. Now um, there was a letter from a juror who uh, and I apparently screwed something up here. There was a letter from a juror to Fallon, and this was a juror from Glossop's second trial. Um, who opened with the recent media attention and interest shown by anti-death penalty advocates like Sister Helen Prajon, Susan Saradin, and Dr. Phil disturb me beyond words. I am confident that none of the people from the 270,000 signatures delivered to you requesting a stay of execution were at the trial of Richard Glossop. I know for a fact that Sister Prajon, Susan Sarandon, and Dr. Phil were not. I know this because I was on the jury in Mr. Glossop's second trial, and I don't remember seeing any of them in the courtroom. My fellow jurors and I exercised extreme due diligence listening to and weighing all the evidence and facts presented to us over the course of one month, eight hours a day. Our decision was not based on popular belief or opinion, 30-second news clips, social media blogs, or daytime entertainment shows but on every word of witness testimony and evidence. 
We anguished over every single detail and piece of evidence. We listened to every single word and looked at every single picture and explored all possibilities. As you know, the burden responsibility of having another human being's life in one's hands is overwhelming. One we did not take lightly. Governor, believe me when I tell you that on one, no one in that jury took any pleasure or enjoyment in handing down a death sentence, but it was right and just. We were confident in our decision then, and I, for one, am still confident in my decision now. I have read Richard Gloss's Go recent- Go one. <laughs> no, I just, I read- I'm glad somebody finally speaks out against all this- yeah. You know, kind of Orwellian propaganda. And he he read Richard Glossop's, which was actually Don Knight's Eight is Enough, which goes over the eight different, supposedly different versions told by Justin Snead. Um, he had talked to an investigative reporter from Fox News that contacted him by a telephone. He had met with an investigator, Ashley Cusick, hired by Richard Glossop's defense team lawyers, Don Knight, Mark Olive, and Kathleen Lloyd. Ashley and I discussed at length face-to-face the new evidence. There is nothing I have read or heard from any of them that make me question or second-guess my decision. As a jury, we felt Justin Sneed would never have killed Barry Ventries had it not been for Richard Glossop. We felt Richard Glossop was a mastermind behind Mr. Ventries' heinous and brutal murder. We thought Mr. Glossop was cold, calculating, manipulative, and unremorseful. A coward that bid Justin Sneed to do his dirty work, and that is why we held him to a higher accountability. The real tragedy in all this media hype is the real victim, Barry Ventrice and his family, has been forgotten. I cannot fathom the pain and suffering this family has endured in the past eight years. The murder of a loved one to trials, appeals, Supreme Court decisions, etc., This case has touched and impacted countless lives, including mine and all the jurors. Richard Glossop is not the victim. Um, And then it goes on to state, we did our duty. Now is the time for the state to do theirs. Um, And I I cut it off. I I must have set something wrong. So, um, but I'll post a link eventually to the the letter in its original form to to show you so even in this court of public opinion onslaught um one of the jurors from glossop's trial spoke out a second juror uh by the name of verbronic I'm pronouncing that mistakenly. He also gave an interview that said, you know, we took Justin Sneed's testimony with a grain of salt, but when we compared what Justin Sneed said with what Richard Glossop said, Sneed's is the only one that made sense. And that led them to their decision. So, you know, Glossop is not sitting in, in prison on death row because of anything Justin Sneed said. Richard Glossop is sitting in prison on death row because of his admitted lies. He lied about seeing Barry. He lied about where Barry was. He lied about what happened. He lied about what he knew and when he knew it. Um, You know, he, he lied about 
And he continues lying because he's pointed fingers at other people. Um, <laughs> apparently, Don Knight was very upset about uh, some letters that came out in 2022. Uh, but we'll go into that later. Anyway, uh, then Fox 25 did an article that that addressed the destruction of evidence in 1999. Um, this is very important because this shows that in 19, 2015, Don Knight knew about the destruction of evidence because he went on and he raised it in an attempt to supplement his post-conviction application that was filed in 2015. Um, so, uh, he, he had filed a successive post-conviction application on September 16th, the day that Glossop was supposed to be executed, but his execution was stayed and reset for the 30th. Um, there's a, uh, uh, there are a bunch of pleadings filed in the, in the post-conviction and one of that, one of those is a notice re-intent to file, reply to state's response to application for post-conviction relief, an ongoing investigation of claim based on destru destruction of evidence. And in that, Don Knight states, petitioners investigating an additional potential claim related to the destruction of evidence by the state. Pet petitioners counsel learned of the possible extent of destruction of evidence when the district attorney provided defense counsel with the attached police report on 9-5-2015. Um, and there's a police report dated the 28th uh, of October, 1999. Um, and that um, basically just shows that it was, the evidence was transferred from the DA to the police department and then a property card was filled out and the evidence was checked in the property room and marked for destruction by a an Oklahoma PD detective. Uh, her name was Janet Hogue McNutt. Um, and they were supposedly in 2015 developing that. Uh, on the 22nd, Glossop sought to uh, reset his execution from the 30th to allow presentation of his claims. That was opposed by the state on the 23rd. Uh, and Glossop also replied on the 23rd. Um, Glossop filed a notice of state efforts to oppose innocence witnesses and request to protect innocent witnesses, uh, which was meant to influence a court of public opinion by implying that the state was doing something wrong in its efforts to interview Glossop's new witnesses and its response to their claims, including citation of their criminal records involving dishonesty or instruction, basically pointing out that, you know, Michael Scott, he had a charge or conviction for obstruction of, of uh, a police officer and lying to police. So gosh, that would mean that his statements yep, are really credible. Exactly. You're going to lie once you're going to lie twice. Um, and, you know, and, and, and it's funny because the defense would do the same if it was the state bringing these new witnesses forward. So, but as we have seen so many times with defense attorneys, oh, yeah. what's good for the goose is not allowed exactly. for the gander. Wouldn't well, that's 100%, right? We've talked about this before. You see in all of these innocence fraud cases, there'll be 25 things against the convicted 
and they'll have all these arguments why none of this evidence should be included. But then for the alternative suspect, it's like, oh, wait, there was one hair found five miles from the this guy's home. So he must be guilty. It's a totally mm-hmm. different double standard. It's very frustrating. Right. And that's, you know, that's hearsay statements. You know, you have hearsay statements exactly against the accused and where the accused is admitting. And yeah. that's, you know, that's not admissible. That's not fair. It's it's hearsay, hearsay, hearsay. Yeah, but, but hearsay then against the alternative guys, totally. You fine. have you have a witness saying, "Well, their barber told me that they confessed," and then that that's one hundred percent. Yeah, that's enough for conviction right there. I mean, you know, that's uh, what and, the double standards makes that, us all that crazy. Discredits an, uh, that discredits a witness as well. Exactly, They're the same yeah. thing. Um, yeah, exactly. On the 25th of September 2015, uh, Glossop's counsel was forced to file a notice of withdrawal of footnote five from its successive application. Footnote five said that um, the statement of Richard Barrett, who was one of the people who was who was um, providing them information about Justin Sneed's meth addiction, um, that he had said Sneed traded a silver 38 revolver for drugs to Bobby Glossop and that Bobby Glossop was arrested with that gun later. Well, they made that statement and said, oh, we'll see it's corroborated because Gloss- uh, Bobby Glossop was arrested with a silver 38 revolver. As it turns out, no, Bobby Glossop was arrested with a black 38 revolver, not a silver one. So they had to withdraw the footnote because it was no longer, that allegation no longer corroborated Barrett's statements. On September 28, 2015, um, the Court of Criminal Appeals issued its opinion denying Glossop's post-conviction writ or post-conviction application. Uh, and I want to go over the the reasons for their denial because it's very important that we look at and understand. Um, first of all, the law favors finality of judgment, and that's true in any state. Glossop has made no showing of miscarriage of justice, and his claims do not fall within the guidelines of Post-Conviction Procedures Act, allowing this court to consider them on the merits or to grant relief. Glossop's 8th and 14th Amendment claims and IAC claims are similar to direct appeal issues. The new evidence offered by Glossop merely expands on the theories raised on direct appeal and his original application for post-conviction relief. His IAC claim is barred because similar issues were raised on direct appeal in in his original application. Sneed's testimony is still corroborated because no trial witnesses have recanted and Glossop has offered no credible evidence that witnesses gave falsified testimony at trial. This court's thorough discussion of the facts and its conclusion that those facts were sufficient in its 2007 Glossop versus State opinion has not been refuted by credible documentation. Glossop's conviction was not based solely on the testimony of his co-defendant and his execution will not violate the Eighth Amendment. We fail to find that Glossop has suffered or will suffer a miscarriage of justice based on these claims and decline to exercise our inherent powers to grant relief when other avenues are barred or waived. 
In his third proposition, Glossop claims that the evidence at his first trial was insufficient, barring his second trial as double jeopardy. Glossop cites no authority for the proposition that a second trial was barred after a first trial is reversed on purely legal grounds, is subject to double jeopardy if the evidence was insufficient at the first trial. Glossop could have raised this issue on direct appeal after his second trial, and this claim is therefore waived. And that's important. You can't hold on to a claim that could be raised because you know about it. And this is all information that they had during Glossop's direct appeal. Exactly. Um, they knew why the why the second, you know, why the first conviction was vacated. They knew why it was being remanded. They knew going into the second trial. Um, so if they wanted to say the evidence of the first trial was insufficient, and therefore the uh, jeopardy had attached and the second trial couldn't be held because of double jeopardy, it's actually you do that before that trial goes forward. Um, or if you discover it after the trial's over, you you do it on direct appeal. Right. Um, yeah, they're just throwing stuff against the wall. I mean, back to your point about Glossop and his post-conviction relief, I feel like this guy's clogged the courts more than any defendant ever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have long wanted... Um, starting in 2017 with Brian Claypool in the Dahlia DiPolito case. I have wanted to report that motherfucker to the California bar for yeah, so seriously. egregiously lying yeah. to the, uh, to the mean, courts just, in Florida. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, we all want actual justice, but this is insane. Yeah. And, and the fact that, you know, like Rodney Reed, that they're lying. Is it, his attorneys yeah. are lying. Because well, his know. attorneys say his conviction is based on three sperm cells. <laughs> no, it's not. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there needs to be some there needs to be some point where, yeah, we appreciate the First Amendment when you're but when you're representing the court as an officer of the court, even as a defense attorney, mm -hmm. you cannot get out there and just blatantly lie. Right. And Don Knight's lied. He's he's claimed that that Sneed was an intravenous meth user and he wasn't um it, you know it's it's like just but the thing is is that he has a lot of fucking nerve to accuse everybody and his brother who's adverse to richard gloss of, of lying and yet he's got the biggest liar of well, all in this case as a client and we've said it before in a lot of these cases you have to believe that everyone is lying but the convicted. The convicted is the only person telling the truth and everybody else is lying. Yeah. So, all right. Um, they go on to say they find no miscarriage of justice based on this claim. Glossop's final proposition claims ineffective assistance of counsel for counsel's failure to investigate and prepare for the trial testimony of the medical examiner which he now claims was false or misleading. This claim could have been raised on direct appeal or in his original post-conviction application through the exercise of reasonable diligence. The facts underlying the claim are not sufficient when viewed in light of the evidence as a whole to show no reasonable fact finder would have found guilt or sentenced Glossop to death. 
Again, no miscarriage of justice. Glossop wants more time to develop more evidence similar to that presented in a subsequent application. Discovery, hearing, and stay are not warranted in this case. So relief was denied, hearing and discovery denied, stay denied, and the mandate was issued uh, upon delivery and filing of the decision, which was on September 28th. Glossop appealed this to the U.S. Supreme Court under... Uh, he filed an application for stay of execution under 15A333 on September 29, 2015. He filed a writ of certiorari under docket number 15-6340, um, challenging the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals or seeking review of their decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. He filed a request for rehearing, which was denied on September 29, 2015, on the 30th of September 2015, uh, Governor Fallon issued Executive Order 2015-42, staying Glossop's execution due to an error in the drug obtained for execution of Charles Warner. And Glossop as well, Warner's execution went forward with the wrong drug. Um, on the 30th of September, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court denied Glossop's request for stay of execution and his writ was also denied. Um, then on the 1st of October, and we've talked about this before, so I'll kind of just gloss over, um, the state of Oklahoma filed a notice and request for stays of execution in state court requesting that scheduled executions be stayed uh, while they investigated what happened with the drug mix-up and and how it happened and how to prevent it from happening in the future. And that actually led to the um, revision or amendment or reworking of Oklahoma's execution protocol over the next five years. Um, there was also an order filed in federal court in Glossop versus Gro Gross um, which was granting a joint stipulation in which the state agreed not to seek execution dates for any inmates until at least 150 days after counsel for plaintiffs was provided with notice that investigation of the procedures had been conducted, the results of the investigation, notice and copies of amendments to the execution of, of offenders, uh, that's the execution protocol, and notice that the uh, Department of Corrections would be able to apply, comply with the express terms of the protocol. Uh, and then over the next seven years, uh, the state and occasionally the convicted felons filed status reports with the Court of Criminal Appeals regarding the execution protocol issues. And uh, on, on February 13, 2020, Oklahoma issued its amended execution pro protocol that led to the federal court challenge of that protocol by Glossop and other inmates uh, under Glossop versus, I think it was Chandler. And on June 6, 2022, Judge Frio, uh, Frio, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, and I'm from Southeast Louisiana, so I tend to make I-O-T-E-O. Um <laughs> And he uh, dismissed their challenge to the execution protocol, finding that the use of they haven't proven that the use of midazolam violated the Eighth Amendment. Um, so then the court of public opinion um, 
ramps up yet again. It's been silent for the most part. Um, there were occasional letters from Knight to Prater seeking information and evidence and documents and things like that, but they didn't release those to the press. Yeah, hey, now Lisa, they start I, releasing things to the press. Yeah, just a, a general question. I mean, what do you think about this case? Is it the general death penalty or what's gotten the innocence fraud movement and the public opinion so interested in this case? Because, you know, I mean, candidly, he doesn't Glossop doesn't fit a lot of the kind of, you know, he doesn't check a lot of the boxes you see with a lot of the innocence fraud cases. I mean, he's basically a white guy from Oklahoma, which is generally not what gets the innocence fraud movement excited. What do you think it is that he's been, they've been so interested in him? The fact that he did not himself kill Barry Vantrese with his own hands. And the egregious lie that his conviction is based on Justin Sneed's testimony and only Justin Sneed's testimony. That is it. That is why they're because he didn't he didn't actually kill Barry Ventrice. So they argue if he didn't actually kill Barry, Barry Ventrice, he's not guilty of Got first it. degree murder. He can't so be it's actually more based. It's, so, okay, so in fairness, it is actually a little bit more based on the circumstances of the crime versus other things. But it's it's based. Well, no, because it's based on the egregious lie that it's that, that his was, conviction rests yeah. on Sneed's testimony only, and it also ignoring Glossop's lies and evidence of consciousness of guilt. Because that's the only reason he would lie about the things he lied about in the yeah, way that exactly. he lied about him for the time. Because got to remember, he knew at 4.30 in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning that Barry Ventrice was dead in room 102. What does he do? He helps cover the window with a shower curtain so people can't look in. He helps. He sends Justin Sneed for plexiglass and helps him hang it on the outside of the window. He tells Justin Sneed to turn the air conditioner full blast. He tells Justin Sneed to break a key in the door so nobody can get in. Uh, and then he lies about where Barry Ventrice is. He tells Justin Sneed to hide the car. Um, he lies about where Barry Ventrice is for all those hours. You know, I mean, he knows Barry Ventrice's car is in the in the Wioki Credit Union parking lot, but he lies and says, oh no, right. he went to get breakfast and buy supplies i saw him he was fine yeah. 17 yeah. hours and yeah, he I doesn't mean, he doesn't come clean until Ju january 9th and then only because he knows his goose is cooked exactly and I so mean, then I he's got to make up some new lies so his ultimate his ultimate excuse was i lied I wasn't protecting Sneed. I was protecting myself because I don't want to lose Deanna Wood because I love her to death. And I have a feeling with Richard Glossop, every girlfriend, he loves her to death <laughs> until he doesn't love her anymore. Well, and they're all lucky that he did not love them literally <laughs> to death. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? Because, I mean, 
the smart play is you just tell the truth. Like you can just yeah. be honest and say, Hey, I told the truth. And if you did lie, like, okay, yeah, I lied because I had a little bit of marijuana or whatever. But yeah, there's no reason for him to make up and cover for everybody. It's insane. Right. So then again, this begins. So Knight releases a letter dated October 8, 2020. Now keep in mind too, that in this time, Knight is not filing applications for post-conviction relief. Knight is not pursuing uh, a second federal writ based on the things he raised in 2015. Um, Knight is not doing shit to legally challenge Glossop's conviction and or sentence. All he's doing is he's releasing letters that he's writing to the DA with propaganda. And that's the only way to describe it, propaganda. Um, Knight says his innocence investigation continues. He alleges that he's asking these questions and seeking these things based on prior practices of the Oklahoma DA's office. Like when Bob Macy was the DA. He wasn't even the DA when Glossop's second trial happened. Um, and then he's seeking witness interview notes for Jackie Williams and Catherine K. Timmons because he alleges that Williams and Timmons made inconsistent statements between police and their trial testimony. And then he cites other cases of, miscon of misconduct found on the part of the DA's office that aren't relevant to Glossop's case because they're not in Glossop's case. Uh, and they don't involve Connie Smotherman or, or, or um, Ackley, the two actual prosecutors in the case. Um, then Knight writes another letter on January 8, 2021. He's informing him of his continuing investigation, which he had actually written a letter in 2016, requesting all documents and evidence that he got no response to because let me let me set people straight. Prater has no obligation to continue providing evidence and information to Don Knight. Don Knight has got the complete OIDS file. Um, Prater has an obligation if it's something that is material and exculpatory to Glossop, but he has no obligation when when Don Knight's writing him these letters to do fuck all that Don Knight asked him to. He's not required to do Don Knight's investigation for him. And this is another way I think that people misunderstand Brady. Brady does not absolve a criminal defense attorney in a trial or leading up to a trial from performing their own investigation. And we'll speak a little bit more about that in depth later when these allegations of Brady violations are made. But what Don Knight's doing, these are all, A, court of public opinion, influencing the court of public opinion to think that he knows Glossop is innocent and the DA is just not doing what the DA is supposed to be doing, even though the DA doesn't have an obligation to do anything. Um, but he's also, um, he's also on a fishing expedition. So he's seeking inter interview notes for, uh, various witnesses, including Donna Vantrese, Cliff Everhart, Ken Vantrese, B 
Billy Hooper, uh, the medical examiner, Kayla Persley, Bill Sunday, um, uh, Ms. Timmons and Ms. Williams, Justin Sneed. He wants polygraph documentation because he raises the issue about um, Glossop being questioned about the polygraph at his 2014 clemency hearing. And he admitted to taking a polygraph and failing it at that hearing, by the way. Um, he cites the fact that BMO testified about polygraph on April 23rd, 1997, and that he also testified outside the presence of jurors about the polygraph on June 8th, 1998, and that Glossop testified at the trial. He cites the fact that the polygraph was administer administered by somebody named Powers on January 9th, 1997, but, um, and that there was a hearing request uh, before Glossop's second trial um, requested by Lynn Birch on January 10th, 2003, where the records were not produced of that polygraph. Um, he cites an email from Smotherman that the records were not produced that was dated in October of 2003. And then a request by Mark Henriksen, who was representing Glossop uh, in connection with the clemency hearing uh, that was made on December 19th, 2014. But after all this, all these little circumstantial, the circumstantial evidence of the existence or at least administration of a polygraph to Richard Glossop on January 9th, 2007, Knight says that the absence of documentation impugns the reliability of the claim that Glossop failed a polygraph. So of basically, course. Knight's like, That's well, perfect. if you can't put a report in my hands, it, then I don't believe he failed. He it. walked into his own bear trap. So he requests documentation for polygraphs administered not only to Glossop, but to Wooden's need. And then he says, if no documentation exists, he needs to know about your efforts for future court filings and statements to the press. So right there. That's all Knight's interested in is the court of public opinion. And, 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 and it has worked because this bullshit got him an audience with a bunch of dumbass idiot legislators where he got to make his presentation with all these lies and all these speculative claims and all this rumor and bullshit and myth and innuendo. And he got them on board. So now they're going to join his cause and they're going to help him influence the court of public opinion. Um, and they have, they have used their political clout. We'll talk about later to get some idiot DA and idiot attorney generals into office. Um, he also seeks the Sinclair videotape. He says it was seized per a 1997 report that a motion to produce was filed in May of 1998 by Fornerat prior to Glossop's first trial. Fern Smith said the tape had no value. Fornerat said he didn't need it if she wasn't going to use it. Um, the efforts to get the tape were renewed in 2003. He brings up the destruction of evidence prior to the second trial and that the tape was not mentioned in connection with that. So again, these are issues he knows about in 2015 and 2020. Um, he also, for the first time, seeks information about the evidence that was found in Barry's trunk. Uh, he's decided to adopt Wayne Fornerat's crazy, stupid 
uh, theory that the uh, money in the trunk was because Barry ripped off a drug dealer. Um, he also wants evidence collected to prosecute Sneed from room 217, which was not even Sneed's room. Sneed's room was 117. Um, he says that the room contained evidence of Sneed's drug use and friends and associates. Uh, he speculates about Sneed's motives because it's pretty clear that Sneed did not have a motive to kill Barry Ventries, nor has it ever been proven that Sneed had independent knowledge of the location of the money under the front seat of the car. Um, he refers to a letter from a, a guy named Fred McFadden claiming Sneed bragged to get, about killing Barry and Fred McFadden was going to testify against Sneed. Um, he wants information about their document and evidence destruction policies, bringing up again the, the destruction of the box of evidence, which contained the shower curtain, duct tape, documents, envelope with note, glass, wallet, knives, keys, one deposit book, and two receipt books that were destroyed in 1999 prior to the 2004 trial. He wants information about the documents that were returned to Donna Van Trees that she lost or destroyed uh, and that were not available at the second trial. He alleges that the police investigation was not confident and he requests a response in seven days and he did get anything. Uh, on the 2nd of February, 2021, an article appears in the City Sentinel newspaper by Darla Sheldon which basically has Don Knight talking about um, the polygraph examination and his attempts to get documentation, the Sinclair videotape, the cash found in Ventrice's trunk. And of course he implies that Do David Prater is withholding this information and evidence from him. Um, and it talks There's about always the, some conspiracy. It, he talks about the report about the evidence destruction in 1999 Um he says, my feeling is that these are critical issues that any lawyer in a case like this should have access to put the information we now seek from Prater's files with the new evidence we presented at the legislative subcommittee hearing in October, which was essentially the 2015 evidence with additional statements from witnesses who came forward in 2018 and 19, um, which is only a small sample of the evidence we have uh, that no one has ever seen. And it will show that if Rich Glop Rich Glossop is executed. Oklahoma will be killing an innocent man. Well, everything that they've got is potentially impeachment evidence of Justin Sneed, not exculpatory as to Richard Glossop. Um, and you know, it's people saying Sneed told me this, Sneed told me that, and and when you look at their statements, their statements don't line up. So if Sneed's this horrible yeah, big liar, then he's lying to them. Yeah, then their statements never lie. You can't ever take all the pieces together. I mean, if you look at an individual in all these cases, yes, one thing may go, oh, this points to exoneration, but you can never put them all together in a rational puzzle. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, Knight says, I'm thankful to representatives McDougal and Humphrey for giving us the opportunity to use Rich's case to highlight the serious problems that grow from defense attorneys who fail to do even the most basic work on behalf of their clients and how the appeals are not designed to remedy these problems. Uh, in closing to Prater, the article said, if you are confident in your evidence, 
and it is unassailable as it should be to support the execution of a citizen of Oklahoma. There's nothing to be gained from refusing to reveal it now. Now, I'm not sure whether that was McDougal or whether that was Knight. Uh, but Knight also said, I'm not I'm interested in getting this stuff. And if they haven't got it, then it's time to start talk about talking about letting Rich go. Um, again, none of this, none of this stuff is exculpatory to Richard Glossop. None of it is even material to the question of Richard Glossop's innocence or guilt. So, Lisa, do you think they're just filing all this stuff just to delay the execution? I mean, what's why would somebody do all this just to raise questions in the court of public opinion? Yeah, it's it's raising questions in the court of public opinion and it's getting it's selling your version of the story. To idiot legislators who then start pounding their chests and acting like fools and spreading your lies and propaganda and making uh, basically horrible accusations against the prosecutors in the case. I mean, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So how does this, I mean, how does this jar with sort of the state bar code of ethics? I mean, I realize as defense attorney, your role is to get your client exonerated as long as you don't know your client is going to commit a future crime. You're just trying to get that client exonerated. No. But how, how does it, no. I mean, how can they do all this stuff, you and know, and all this, this slander is, and this still be within where, the bar's ethics? This is where I think we're a, we're a little, I think the public tends to oversimplify it. A, a defense attorney's, um, effectiveness and their job are not outcome determinative. A defense attorney can do a perfect, pristine job and and protect every single right his client is entitled to under the U.S. Constitution and state constitutions. He can suppress evidence that was illegally obtained. He can suppress um, witness statements that were, or, or he can suppress his client statements that were not given with the benefit of Miranda. He can do every everything perfectly, but ultimately, if the evidence is something like DNA that's irrefutable and he cannot refute, and his client is convicted, then he's not a bad attorney, and he was not ineffective. Right, hundred percent. So it's not outcome determinative. So, yes, Knight should be raising these issues, although really he's he's abusing the privilege because he's raising issues multiple times. And sometimes with the same evidence that's already been rejected by yeah. the court of criminal. Well, abuse. And that's what I'm trying to get at. I mean, don't I mean, don't those attorneys have some obligation to the people to the jurisprudence to the overall system to say look i want to give my client a vigorous defense i want to make sure his or her rights are not violated but that doesn't mean i can just clog up the courts with years of motions which i know are untrue just to you know just to clog up the courts because all that is doing is hurting all the other people in the system i i think what it what it takes is it takes somebody 
it's kind of like criminal behavior. If you don't get caught, you're going to keep doing it. And it takes somebody going to your state bar and saying, these are the lies he told to this tribunal. And these are the lies he told in the press. Now, I think that McDougal, Humphreys, Knight should all face some sort of consequence for impugning the Oklahoma justice system because they're criticizing the justice system because it's not giving them the outcome they want. Well, exactly. And I mean, we read all this stuff about, oh, if you criticize an election or if you criticize anything, oh, you're you're undermining democracy. It feels like it's the same thing. If you're undermining our justice system, yeah. that's a threat to democracy. Like people should face consequences for that. So, but again, it's going to, it takes somebody reporting it and it takes, it takes a, the agency or the bar or entity that the report to whom the report is made to act on the report and find that it has merit and then censure and you're never gonna you're never gonna find anybody do any report on somebody that's convicted because everybody's well at least the establishment is always biased towards everybody's innocent well i don't know that yeah i i but I, it it goes beyond whether glossop is innocent or, or guilty don knight is actively lying to the media he's actively lying to the courts he has no evidence that Justin Sneed was an intravenous meth user. Oh, but yeah, he no, has I agree. Said I'm it. just saying. He's no, I got, agree with you. Yeah, I mean, he's lying about Connie Smotherman. I'm just saying the media based is on never speculation. Gonna, yeah, about what something means. Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later because remember we've we've only got one hour left. Yeah. No, I just are mean your the, wife's going to come through the phone yeah. and kill me. <laughs> No, that's true. I just mean the media is never going to investigate the prosecution. They're only going to spend time investigating defense claims. No, it's the other way around. They're not going to investigate defense lawyers. They're oh, not going to yeah, call defense lawyers yeah. out on their bullshit. Yeah, exactly. They're going to investigate and call out the prosecution no, fair all enough. day long. And they're going to take what defense tells them about the prosecution. And they're going to act as though that's been proven true. Exactly. And they're going to repeat it um, again, as we'll we'll talk about later. So April 14th, 2021, Knight writes another letter um, to Prater. He claims that the DA's files contain Brady and Giglio materials, that he's not on a fishing expedition because apparently that allegation must have been made. He requests info about William Bender. He's looking for impeachment evidence, which... The door has closed if you want to impeach witnesses. Impeachment of witnesses is not proper post-conviction evidence. Um, and, and it's not necessarily in any state proper post-conviction evidence. The only time it is material is if it was suppressed by the prosecution because they knew about it and it was information that the defense could not have come about or come across in some other way um, a good example is rodney reed's attorneys claim that uh, information about the affair with stacy was suppressed by the prosecution based on ron haas saying he heard a rumor 
Andrew Cardenas saying Jose Coronado told him something. Jose Coronado saying, I didn't say that. And Susan Hugan saying that she told Paul, uh, a, a, a cop named Paul, who might have been Paul Alexander, about Reed visiting Stacy in the store. Well, um, we have statements from Jimmy Brown and Lydia Clay Jackson that they talked to HEB employees who confirmed the affair to them. Therefore, the prosecution allegedly withholding these other statements, while the on their face they're not exculpatory and they don't prove a relationship, uh, also, again, Lydia Clay Jackson and Jimmy Brown both had that information or should have had that information. So that's what, that's the only time impeachment evidence is if it wasn't provided and the defense, uh, the defense attorneys had no way of knowing. Um, they had, uh, Knight claims he has a police report with inconsistent statements made by Bender. Uh, he assumes that minimal follow-up was done after that initial report. Um, he's making assumptions based on the content of the report, which was typed on March 4th, 1997 by Cook. He requests BMO's notes and recordings. He wants follow-up of Bender by the OCPD. He wants information about Bender's wife. He speculates about Bender's statements. Um, and he says that Bender should have been a suspect because he asked police about room 102 and if Barry was dressed when he was found. But Bender says Glossop's the one that told him that. So he's he's asking police about it to confirm what Glossop told him. Um, and, you know, we've got the fact that Bender was in Tulsa and Knight has not proven that Bender was not in Tulsa. Uh, then on May 17th, 2021, McDougal, idiot McDougal, writes a letter to Stitt and the PPB requesting an independent investigation of Barry Van Treese's death based on allegedly newly discovered evidence, um, new witness statements and expert reports from 2015, and other evidentiary problems. He claims to support the death penalty, but claims there's moral obligation to make sure an innocent person isn't executed. He has pause about loss of guilt because the police investigation was not conducted in a manner that engenders confidence that we know the truth. Um, claims it's new. There is new evidence that Sneed had a female accomplice. This is based on a statement by a guy by the name of Paul Melton. Um, again, who gave a statement to Don Knight in 2018 or 2019. And the claim from a statement given by Stephanie Garcia around the same time that allegedly corroborates all this. However, Don Knight does not file a post-conviction application during this time period. Um, and um, McDougal just has more, you know, propaganda that the state is at risk of killing an innocent person, that Oklahoma is allowing the real murderers to escape justice, that the lawyers have uncovered new evidence and agreed to turn it over to an independent investigator. Um, and then on the 28th of February, 2022, uh, the the idiot legislators hold a press conference where they declare Richard Glossop to be innocent, that the legal remedies for death row inmates are inadequate in Oklahoma, that there's limited time to bring new evidence and courts don't consider it, that they're concerned about the execution of someone for a crime he didn't commit, 
um, that they want to pass a bill to appoint an invest independent body to investigate innocence claims of death row inmates. They tried to pass that in 2021, but apparently it's never been signed into law. Uh, that they've got an ad hoc committee that's obtained the pro bono services of Reed Smith, a Texas law firm and anti-death penalty advocate do investigate Richard Glossop's innocence. And they say if the report says he's guilty, he should be executed. But of course, when you have a death penalty advocate, anti-death penalty advocate uh, doing your investigation, it's not going to say he's guilty. It's going to say he's innocent. Um, and as we learned um Reed Smith took their took their marching orders from Don Knight. And they took the OIDS files and they took Don Knight's statements and affidavits and declarations of witnesses and reports, and they just expounded on them to make them appear to be new. Uh, which, as we'll see, was required because Don Knight had done fuck all since 2015 uh, in the way of post-conviction uh, relief applications. Uh, on the 10th of June, 2022, uh, the state filed a notice requesting the OCCA set execution dates for multiple inmates, including Glossop, who had all exhausted appeals and notifying the court the state had prevailed in their federal in the federal lawsuit challenging the execution protocol. Of course, on the 15th of June, 2022, Reed Smith released their report claiming to have found new evidence proving Glossop's innocence. But the report primarily relied on issues raised and witnesses cited in Glossop's successive writ in 2015 and issues and witnesses cited by Knight in his letters to D.A. Prater in 2021. They raised speculative claims about Brady violations and destruction of evidence by the Oklahoma City Police Department in 1999, which we know Don Knight knew about in 2015. Um, so it's not new. If Don Knight knew about it in 2015, it isn't new. If Don Knight had affidavits from witnesses in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, they're not new just because Reed Smith talked to them. That does not make them new. Um, there's an order on the 1st of July denying appellant's objection to setting execution date because there's nothing currently pending with this court. As of yet, there is no impediment to setting an execution date for appellant. Accordingly, the objection is denied. Uh, an execution date was set on July 1st as well in another order, uh, and that was September 22nd, 2022. Of course, on July 1st, after they set the execution date, what does Don Knight do? He walks in there with a box and a post-conviction application for relief. And he's raising claims from the Reed Smith report and he's re-arguing claims raised in 2015 and making supplementary claims based on witnesses and evidence cited in letters to Prater before Reed Smith even became involved with five volumes of an appendix. Sorry if you've answered this, but who is paying Don Knight? Because I feel like he's got a lot. He's doing a lot of work. Is he getting paid by the state? Or uh, is he working pro bono or is it a special well, interest group? I think he's getting paid where he can get federal funding approved to pay him. Um, he's doing this pro bono for the most part. However, I would expect that there's some kind of deal with uh, Joe Berlinger on killing Richard Glossop, that that okay. probably provided him with some money. 
Um, I expect that there are probably uh, some funding provided by the legislators and by Justin Jackson, who uh, allegedly learned about this case through killing Richard Glossop. And I would expect that they are pro providing some donations and some funds to uh, cover some of uh, some of Knight's expenses with Glossop. Um, yeah, and I don't really give a shit. <laughs> okay. I don't care if he's doing it for free or he's getting paid. It doesn't matter. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to assign a motive. I just, it's odd that all these guys spend all this time on this bullshit for free. It seems weird. Yeah. Like there's some, there's some greater hand at work. Well, I, I think that, um, I, I think that someone mentioned this and I, I agree. I don't know where I heard it, but I heard it. And basically Kathleen Zellner does it too. Kathleen Zellner represents these people in the post-conviction pro bono. And then when when she's successful, if she's successful, then she represents them in a civil suit against the state, county, prosecutor, police, and whoever else she can rope in to obtain a civil judgment. I think there have been allegations that she has obtained civil judgments and then screwed her clients out of their money. Um, and I know that she obtained a civil judgment and a, a payment in civil of a civil claim by Ryan Ferguson, whose case I want to look at, but it just makes me so angry that I don't know if I can. No, I'm with <laughs> you. That case, that that may be the most ridiculous of all. Like I still, there's like, times where you can't understand basic yeah it, there's no answer so uh in 2022 Glossop also filed motions for discovery and evidentiary hearing and he's seeking documentation regarding the destruction of evidence in 1999 that he's known about since 2015 he proposes multiple witnesses to testify most of them with whom he's uh he's you know that he's known about since 2015 um and then there's an email in July and there's a bunch of emails between Knight and Josh Lockett at the AG's office where, uh, once again, they're trying to get documentation from the DA's files. Um, and there are there's one that's really interesting where um, uh, they basically Knight implies that the state is in possession of privileged material which were the letters that Glossop had written that were used in in their um in one of their responses to his petition or in their response to his petition and um those letters had been published in a newspaper in Oklahoma in 2015 in connection with his prior um, with his prior post-conviction application and that is how the DA's office came into possession of them as they were published in 2015 and someone just let them know that they had been published in 2015 and gave them a link 
and I think actually the investigator found the link to get the to get the documents. So anyway, um, so they didn't come by them in a nefarious means. Somebody gave them to the press and the press published them. That made them fair game. So um, there are, you know, there's a bunch of letters. The legislators are writing letters to O'Connor wanting him to join in the request for an evidentiary hearing. Um, O'Connor replied, he cannot join in a request for an evidentiary hearing saying Glossop's guilt has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt since this direct appeal. Multiple courts have reviewed this evidence and determined that the jury that convicted Glossop and sentenced him to death did so in full accordance with the law. The case has been before the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals several times, and the court is now considering his latest appeal, which was filed only after his execution date was set. In addition, the U.S. Court uh, for the Western District of Oklahoma, the Tenth Circuit, and U.S. Supreme Court have rejected Glossop's claims along the way. Um, O'Connor said, while my office has the utmost respect for the opinions of those members of the legislature who wrote to my office regarding this matter, it is the courts who are authorized to make decisions when claims of factual or legal in innocence are raised on appeal. With that in mind, I look to the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals to carefully consider the claims before it and render a decision that complies with Oklahoma law. Reed Smith issues another report on August 9th, 2022, uh, with more speculative allegations regarding Snead and his testimony. Apparently, there were letters and uh, written between Snead and his attorney, and he was saying he wanted to he wanted to get a better deal. He wanted to maybe redo his deal before he testified. He used the word recant, but he was using it incorrectly, basically. Um, Glossop filed a notice of factual development citing the supplemental report by Reed Smith. Um, the state objected to the motion for evidentiary hearing and the motion for discovery. They filed a response to Glossop's claim and his claims in his successive application and basically pointing out he's not factually innocent. innocent. And they, they argued that Contrary to Glossop's claims, the state's evidence is not markedly weak. They reiterated petitioner's authority over Sneed, concerns over his management of the motel, how he worked against the police, how he continues to change his story, how he planned to move on, but that was cut short, how he changed his story again, how Sneed confirmed police suspicions, and that the state's compelling case remains. Um, he they argued that uh, Glossop's affirmative evidence of innocence, so-called affirmative evidence of innocence, is anything but that his alleged men mental and cognitive impairments do not show he's actually innocent, that the last-minute nature of the application belies its verity, that petitioner's lack, due diligent, lack of diligence continues to be displayed, and that Glossop is ignoring critical evidence. And he also argues that his legal claims made in propositions two through five were waived. Um, Governor Stitt issued an executive order um, resetting Glossop's execution to December 8th, 2022 to allow the Court of Criminal Appeals to address the pending legal proceeding. On the 20th of August, Reed Smith issued a second report, or second supplemental report. There was an intercept article uh, continu continuing the one-sided narrative 
portraying the state's cases refuted by clear and convincing evidence and ignoring the countless legal opinions that refute their opinions regarding Glossop's alleged innocence. Um, there's an email from Lockett tonight. The AG has agreed to allow Glossop's attorneys to access boxes of documents from the DA's office uh, exclusive of what the AG, uh, AG's office considers to be work product. Um, they uh, Knight acknowledges this in another email to Lockett, and then the state files its formal opposition to Glossop's clemency petition, um, which basically just goes over um, the history of the case and the evidence against Glossop and the death penalty, um, the aggravating circumstances and the disparity. And they argue that the disparity between Sneeds and Glossop's sentences is not a concern because Sneed entered a guilty plea, testified against Glossop, and was sentenced to life without parole. Glossop sought a jury trial twice and was twice convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. Um, they address some of the allegations against about Sneed's interview and his plea deal. Uh, and they note that Glossop was offered a plea deal with a straight life sentence on October on November 3rd, 2003, but he refused to accept it. Basically, Glossop wanted less than first-degree murder, and he wanted an Alfred plea. And that was not acceptable to the state. Um, but he was he would have gotten a straight life sentence if he'd taken the plea deal. Yeah, and then the he didn't take, him, take the plea accepted. deal. That means he's the dumbass. Exactly. Um, yeah, he's not exactly going to be the Oklahoma Mensa president. Yeah. And they go into you know efforts to cast doubt on Richard Glossop's conviction and killing Richard Glossop and uh surviving execution dr phil and then the reed smith report um and they also point out that glossop's manipulation has continued uh in leah jurassic uh she contacted glossop their relationship moved very fast and they were married in 2018 glossop made demands of uh, financial demands for himself and other inmates on her when she brought up divorce glossop threatened to kill himself and oh my God, I want to contact the guy and I want to get him hooked. And then I want to say, I'm not giving you money and have him threaten to kill himself. And I would say, go ahead, do it while I'm on the phone. You don't have the balls to do it. <laughs> Practically goad the motherfucker into killing himself. Um, and then uh, he got, he threatened to kill himself to get her to stop talking about divorce. And then he turned around and filed for divorce. He sought legal uh, financial support from her but i think he ended up not getting that and then there's chaos who i'm going to go by her name on twitter or her handle on twitter again she reached out to glossop she felt empathy for him um she their relationship moved fast he was trashing leah to chaos he made financial demands for himself and other inmates on her. He lied about needing money for phone time to contact his four children. And she later learned that he didn't talk to two of them um, or that they wouldn't talk to him. Glossop threatened to harm himself when she brought up that she was spending too much money or couldn't afford to continue financially supporting him. If she, you know, um, raised a question or a concern about the amount of money he wanted, uh, he would say, well, I guess you just want me to starve to death and use emotional blackmail and emotional abuse against her or threaten to harm her when she didn't go along with his demands. 
uh, she realized his manipulation of her was similar to the facts of Barry's murder and started looking into it and realized how guilty he was. Um, and then they concluded by saying, here and now, Glossop still refuses to ask for forgiveness. Instead, he wants this board to second-guess the opinions of Judge Gray, a dozen juror, two dozen jurors, two dozen if you include the 1998 trial, the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals, two federal district judges, multiple panels of 10th Circuit judges, and on several occasions, the justices of the U.S. Supreme Court. He wants you to think that for over two decades, the state of Oklahoma and all those previously listed got this case wrong, that we have all been duped by the cunning of Sneed and led astray by inadequate police investigation. This board knows that this is not the case. The media might ignore portions of the evidence. Politicians might question the reliability of the outcome. Public opinion might claim certain witnesses cannot be believed. But for this board, the facts of this case cannot be changed. Glossop orchestrated the murder of Barry Ventrice. A jury sentenced him to death. This board must see that justice is done. And to do that, this board must decline to extend mercy where it has not been requested. Uh, on September 1st, the defense was given access to seven boxes of materials from the Oklahoma County District Attorney's Office by A.G. O'Connor. On the 13th of September, 2022, that's when Knight writes a letter to Lockett alleging that the A.G.'s office was in possession of privileged material. Uh, but if it's those letters, no, they're not, because the letters were given by someone who Glossop wrote to, to the press. <laughs> Too bad, so sad, sucks to be Glossop. Uh, and and in some of those letters, he was trying to accuse Deanne Wood of participating in the murder with Snead. Um, so I think that's where the that's where the female accomplice comes up. And you know, some of these some of these avenues that are pursued by Knight are from Glossop giving them a new story and changing his story yet again. Um. And then on the 13th, they write a letter alleging that um, there is Brady material being withheld by the by the AG. Um, they're requesting notes of witness interviews, notes from Sneed's interviews, materials regarding Fred McFadden. Uh, and they allege that the AG's definition of work product appears extremely broad. Reed Smith submits a third supplemental report on September 16, 2022, uh, making more speculative allegations regarding Snead's testimony and his desire to recant based on docu documents reviewed from boxes one through seven. Um, and then on September 22, 2022, uh, Glossop files a successive application for post-conviction relief. Uh, raising these speculative allegations regarding Sneed's testimony, his desire to recant, and alleging that the DA violated trial sequestration orders to alter Sneed's testimony based on materials in boxes one through seven. And I think actually, um, uh, well, there's a press conference that day by Humphrey. Uh, who makes irresponsible and false allegations regarding the prosecutors 
in the case based on this speculation by Glossop's counsel regarding the materials found in boxes one through seven, including that Sneed wanted to recant and that Connie Smotherman coached him to change his testimony. Because one of the problems is, is that the, the document found in that box is a memo Smotherman authored to Sneed's attorney, Gina Walker. And it's got Gina Walker's handwriting on it. So what do you think that means? I mean, what do you think the implication of that is? It doesn't mean is? anything because it doesn't show that Connie Smotherman had any direct contact with Sneed or got Sneed to change his testimony. Um, she's and, and she's communicating with his attorney as she's supposed to do. There is no rule of sequestration for a state's a prosecutor with a state's witness. Prosecutors yes, yeah. can talk to their own witnesses. Defense attorneys can talk to their own witnesses. So it's just more paperwork and distraction. It's, sequestration means that if you're going to testify, you can't be in the courtroom while others testify. Right. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that, and, and you know, any attorney is going to do this. If there is testimony that differs from something your witness is saying, you're probably going to try to clarify that. Even if you just talk to your witness to clarify it in your own mind. Because you might have misunderstood the testimony. You might have misunderstood what your witness told you. I mean, there are a lot of different, there are a lot of different moving parts, especially during a trial. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So, and then A.G. O'Connor, um, issued a press release i guess in response to this irresponsible uh, the irresponsible allegations made during during humphrey's press conference and ag o'connor said the state respects the right of those who support richard glossop to voice their opinions and even to attempt to try this case in the media however my office is fully devoted to our responsibility as prosecutors to seek justice if there were evidence that re revealed Glossop's innocence, we would be the first ones to ask the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals to grant him an evidentiary hearing. When justified in past cases, this office has joined with defendants in their request for evidentiary hearings. We have also informed the court in the past when an argument made on appeal requires relief. Despite court filings by Glossop's attorneys, we have seen no such evidence in this case. The court's are the forum for claims of innocence. I trust the Court of Criminal Appeals to sort through the record and to make its determination. It is that court which has the authority to order a new hearing. Neither the governor nor the attorney general can order a new hearing. In today's press conference, it was repeatedly said that Justin Sneed wanted to recant his testimony against Richard Glossop. After carefully reading after a careful reading of the latest report by Reed Smith <clears throat> reveals that when Sneed used the word recant, he was referring to his hope to negotiate a shorter, shorter prison term in exchange for his testimony at Glossop's second trial. But that never happened. In fact, just this year, Sneed stood by his earlier testimony against Glossop in both trials, reporting that far from telling his family Glossop was not guilty, he told them it's the truth and there's nothing else to be there but to stand on the truth. 
It is disappointing that Glossop supporters are criticizing law, criticizing law enforcement, prosecutors, juries, and judges in an attempt to distract the public from the evidence beyond a reasonable doubt of Glossop's guilt. As prosecutors, we must be very cautious to respect the duty of the courts to reach the right result without public pressure. The ethical obligation includes a prohibition against discussing the evidence in a case unless it has been made public. The only items that Mr. Glossop's counsel have not been able to review are work product materials which are not protected by law, which are protected by law from disclosure under 12 OS 2021, section 3226, paren 3. And again, my office has ensured that nothing within those privileged documents falls within a prosecutor's special duty to disclose. My office will continue to abide by the rules of law and ethics. Any, insinu any insinuation to the contrary is false. Now, on the 5th, McDougal responds with a letter to O'Connor that misrepresents facts regarding Sneed's alleged desire to recant and makes a false allegation that Connie Smotherman violated the rules of sequestration of witnesses, makes additional irresponsible allegations regarding prosecutors and the AG's handling of the boxes from the Oklahoma County DA's office, and makes uncorroborated allegation that prosecutors destroyed crucial evidence before trial, but also manufactured then hid critical testimony from the defense, uh, which is kind of weird. If you're going to manufacture testimony, why are you going to hide it from the defense? Yeah, exactly. Uh, which proves so, why I call him the idiot McDougal. Well, I mean, I was going to ask just to summarize. There's a lot of accusations that there was all this evidence hidden, but is there actually any evidence that points to that? Or is it all just, oh. It's, no, it's just, all speculative. Yeah, argument, it's all just kind of like vaporware. Conclusory allegations, yeah. speculative argument about motivations of prosecutors whom they have not interviewed or asked about these things. Um, it falsely alleges that there is no evidence of Glossop's guilt remaining, which isn't true. There is evidence of Glossop's guilt remaining. Idiot McDougal just prefers to remain ignorant of that evidence. Um, and then McDougal says, General O'Connor, I honestly thought you would be the one who would stand for proper procedure and laying all the cards on the table in search of the truth. Instead, your statements show that you simply want to overlook these glaring problems. Your position cannot stand. And then he makes a threat. You have a final chance to make things right. Mr. Knight says he is not afraid of an evidentiary hearing. Do you have similar confidence in your witnesses? At the very least, the state should admit that when evidence is lost and destroyed, proven liars put on the witness stand, and where prosecutors engage in blatant misconduct, a new hearing must be ordered. Well, none of those things has ever been proven by Richard Glossop. Those are conclusory allegations made by Richard Glossop, which in the past have been examined and rejected by the Court of Criminal Appeals. Uh, on the 5th, um, Lockett writes tonight requesting the OIDS file, which was referenced by Reed Smith in an interview with Glossop on April 6, 2022, uh, and pointing out that Glossop has waived privilege by providing the materials to a third-party Reed Smith. Knight writes back that he makes an irrelevant complaint about um, Prater failing to turn over materials to Reed Smith when asked. 
for the DA's files. He alleges that Reed Smith will share defense materials, but only if the AG's office shares materials with it. He seeks a legal basis for the AG's request, given that the defense has no obligation to disclose anything to, but, you know, they're not asking for, well, what they should have done, and I, I, I said this, they should have subpoenaed Reed Smith when they received that first report attached to yeah, the did Do you have any idea why they didn't? Well, it may have been that um, that would be opening up a discovery can of worms that then Glossop would try to turn around uh, and subpoena things. And make it. Gotcha. Um, and even though Glossop would not have a firm legal ground to stand on, uh, it still would probably be. And they were probably disappointed that they couldn't do that. Right. Um, what they might if it had been a little bit longer, they might have been able to, well, when they, when the Reed Smith port came out, they should have issued the subpoena then. Exactly. Before Glossop filed. Yeah, for sure. But they, they missed that window of opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then, uh, uh, AG O'Connor issued a second press release on October 6th in response to idiot McDougal. Um, and he said Barry Ventrice was murdered with a baseball bat in the middle of the night in in a room of the hotel he owned. Richard Glossop managed the, managed the hotel and received an apartment in the hotel as part of his compensation. After meeting with Mr. Ventrice about mostly financial issues, Glossop had reason to fear that he would be fired the next day. Justin Sneed was an 18-year-old maintenance man at the hotel. He also received a room at the hotel as part of his compensation. The evidence at trial showed that Glossop had significant influence over Sneed. Sneed testified that Glossop offered him money to kill Mr. Vantrese at Glossop's first jury trial in 1998. The jury unanimously convicted Glossop of murder for hire and recommended the death penalty. The judge imposed the death penalty. The Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals sent that conviction back for a second jury trial because the court did not believe Glossop's attorney adequately represented him. Before the second jury trial, Glossop's new attorney met with Sneed in an apparent attempt to get Sneed to not testify against Glossop at his second trial. Glossop's attorney admitted that he met face-to-face -face with Sneed. It's on the record before Glossop's second trial that Glossop's attorney gave Sneed copy, a copy of a court decision that would allow Sneed to keep his sentence even if he refused to testify against Glossop in the second trial. And that's a case called uh, Dyer versus State. Despite these efforts by Glossop's attorney to influence him, Sneed again testified in the second tri jury trial in 2004 that Glossop offered Sneed money to kill Mr. Vantrese. The second jury unanimously convicted Glossop of murder for hire in 2004 and recommended the death penalty. Again, the judge imposed the death penalty. The state did not make any kind of additional deal with Sneed in respect to his testimony in the 2004 trial. Sneed has stood by his testimony at all times since, including when the Reed Smith law firm interviewed Sneed in August and September of 2022. Representative Kevin McDougall's letter raises many of the same issues that Glossop has been presenting to the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals since his conviction in 2004. He currently has two cases pending before the court, the state's responses to those two cases address these issue, issues that are based upon the record and evidence. 
The state's responses summarize the evidence, which demonstrates that Glossop enlists its need to kill Mr. Vantrese. Any characterizations of misconduct by the state are false and concern issues that were known by Glossop and his team prior to Glossop's second trial. Further, these allegations have no bearing on the evidence establishing Glossop's guilt. Sneed has continued to affirm his testimony as the truth. The prosecutor did not violate any rules regarding witnesses. The Sinclair st uh, station video had no reach into hotel room across the street. Further, the video camera only viewed the inside of the gas station store. Glossop's failed poly te polygraph test is irrelevant. After failing the test, he admitted he knew more than what he originally said, thus evidencing that he lied during the test. Moreover, the polygraph test was not admitted at trial as it was not admissible under the law. And even without Cliff Everhart's testimony, multiple witness witnesses testified that Glossop provided false accounts of seeing Mr. Vantrese after Glossop knew Mr. Vantrese was already dead in the hotel room. Glossop himself admitted as much. Glossop's two most recent claims that the state withheld evidence that Sneed wished to recant his testimony and the state improperly fed Sneed testimony from other witnesses are false. First, Sneed has consistently, and most recently this past September, affirmed the truth of his trial testimony against Glossop and explained that he was hoping to secure a better deal with the state when he used the word recant. Although Sneed did not get a better deal, he still testified against Glossop. Second, yeah, the state... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, this is an important point today we'll click on because Sneed has never recanted. No matter what they've offered him, no. he's never recanted. No. And he's never so said... Could... He's the... never said a girl was involved, it was robbery gone bad. Yeah. None of those things has ever happened. When he was interviewed by Reed Smith, he did not... In fact, he did not corroborate any of the witness statements exactly. who have claimed that he yes. said Glossop was innocent or not involved. I mean, they can they can do all these conspiracy theories. That's the way this always works, right? They say all this stuff, but when it actually comes down to somebody confirming what you say, Sneed didn't Sneed, Sneed never recanted. Yeah. Um, and the the press release goes on. It says, second, the state announced on the record to the court and Glossop's attorney during Glossop's second trial in 2004 that it had reached out to Sneed's attorney to get clarification on other testimony which had been heard in the trial. Glossop's defense team did not raise any alarm then, likely because such discussions between attorneys are allowed by the court rules. The Court of Criminal Appeals is the proper tribunal to hear the claims of innocence and request for hearings. My office is confident that the court will consider the issues raised and render a decision according to the law. And then on October 10th, um, the AG opposed the motion for evidentiary hearing and a motion for discovery, uh, seeking that both of those things be denied. Uh, they also filed their response to Glossop's successive application for post-conviction relief. They argued that petitioner's Brady versus Maryland claim is without merit. Petitioner's claim is built on a false premise, i.e. that Sneed wanted to recant. The state did not suppress Sneed's desire to renege on or renegotiate his plea agreement, and the evidence was not material. 
petitioner's allegation that prior, prior prosecutor, excuse me, violated the rule of sequestration is without merit. Petitioner's allegation that state knowingly presented false testimony is without merit. Petitioner's Brady claim regarding the knife is without merit. And petitioner's cumul cumulative error claim is without merit. And I think we're going to, since we need to be done by seven and we're on page 31 of 71, I think we're going to call it. No, fair enough. Because this <laughs> goes on. Yeah, you've done an unbelievable amount of research. I hope all the listeners appreciate how much work you put into this. Yeah, well, it, it's part of the reason that I wanted to include all this is I want to show the court of public opinion is really where they're where they're uh, trying to get the outcome they want. Yeah, exactly. What I mean, hopefully, there's some rational people that understand you're you're placing facts in opposition to public opinion. Correct. Which is always. These days, it does feel like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill, but you are trying. Yes, thank you. Um, and I, I will continue to try. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I think we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna stop. That's a good stopping point. Um, and uh, we will pick up where we left off next week. Um, or well. Do you want to try and record next week? Yeah, absolutely. Next week is great. Okay, we'll try Let's and record. Um, what is that going to be? 620? Uh, 25, right? 25. Okay, yep. yes. Okay, so we'll record next week. Um, and uh, we'll conclude our update on Glossop, who, spoiler alert, did, was not executed on May 18th. <laughs> all right thank you for listening to based in fact a true crime podcast with lisa o'brien and kyle evans if you like the show and want to know more you can subscribe to our youtube channel find us on facebook or follow me on twitter at o'brien lan join us next week on june 25th 2023 for um part two of our richard glossop update we will continue looking at the court of public opinion and post-conviction claims raised by Glossop, including his writs to the U.S. Supreme Court, which were filed in 2023. Uh, until then, have a great week. Stay safe and good night.